That is terrifying. I hope some of you watch 2020, in which case you know how we end the program. I will say it, you say it with me because it's my theme today. We're in touch, so you. you be in touch. Okay. The first thing, there aren't too many of you watch, obviously. <laughs> the first thing I want you to do, seriously, is to put away your notes, put away your pens and pencils, because we all say approximately the same thing. And I, I, I find that if you take notes, you don't listen, and you never read them again. Put them away, look at them in 10 years, and remember what a wonderful weekend it is. And let's relax, because you've all had so many people speaking to you and at you, and, and I know it's been a long day. I would like to follow up on some of the things that I have been hearing the speakers say. They all talk about you're loving your work. You have to love your work. Do what you love, love what you do, have a passion. But what if you don't know what you love? And what do you... What if you don't know what you want to do? And what if, forget passion, you're not even in love with a girl or a guy. What do you do then? I would like to see the hands of those of you who do not know what you're going to do with the rest of your life in terms of your careers. Okay. Some put up three hands. You... If I give you any message, as I hear everybody walking around saying, where do you go to college and what do you want to do and what do you want to do? And occasionally somebody says, I'm going to be a doctor or I'm going to be a lawyer or I, I'm going to go into journalism. And I think, how wonderful. How do you know? If you do, you are blessed. Maybe. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know what I could do. You heard a little bit about my background until I was almost 30. Maybe even a little more than that, but I'm not going to admit how, how much I am. You don't have to know now. You shouldn't know now. You don't have to know in college. You don't have to know when you get out of college. Go there. Learn everything. And when somebody says, what are you going to do? Say, I don't know yet. And more often than not, you will find out that they didn't know either. It is such a strain on all of your kids. And I don't want you, especially when you are so smart, that everybody expects you to know right away what are you going to do, who are you going to be, you don't have to, and you shouldn't. It would be better almost if you didn't know, because you'll be amazed at the things that will happen to you if you learn and, and trust your gut. Um, you heard a little bit about my background. It sounded rosier than it was. I will read it, a, a bit of it to you quickly, because I want to have time for questions and answers. Uh, I went to Sarah Lawrence College. I didn't have a clue. I thought maybe I'd be an actress when I came out, but then I realized I had some pull, but I didn't have the push. I thought I would teach, because I like kids. In the meantime, in order to get a job, I went to secretarial school and learned speed writing. You know, if you can read this, you can see and get a GAB job. And then I went to work for an advertising agency. Then I worked in publicity. Then I was made a local producer. Then I did go on the Today Show as a writer. And I only went on the air, I used to do reports, when Maureen O'Sullivan, who is known primarily today as the mother of Mia Farah, didn't make it. It turned out that an actress was not what they wanted. And they hired me for 13 weeks with two other women. And I stayed on the program for 15 years. I was not a great success right away. It took me almost all that time. I didn't look that good. <laughs> Somebody came up to me today and said, just now, and said, gee, you look so tired. And I said, that's funny. I thought I looked great. <laughs> In those days, I had dark, very dark hair, and I was a little too skinny, and I still don't pronounce my R's, and I have a sibilant S, and people used to say, she's not the girl next door. And I said, but the girl next door isn't the girl next door anymore. In any event, I did not become co-host until the host of the program died. And it was in my contract 
that at that time they had to make me a co-host. Now all of the women on the morning shows and most of the shows are co-hosts. I became a female co-host literally over his dead body. In the years in which I didn't make him die, it wasn't my fault. And I say that he was a, a great man and a great journalist, and I say this with sadness. But in the beginning on the Today Show, I was not allowed to come in if they did Washington interviews. I wasn't allowed to come in until he had asked three questions. The man asked the third question. Then it shouldn't be a total loss. If we got around to the fourth question, Barbara could ask it. That's what it was like in television in those days. And to some degree, you'll all face certain barriers today, but it has changed a tremendous amount. After 15 years, I went to ABC to be the first female co-anchor of a network news show. I had a partner who was a wonderful man, and I liked him as a person, and he hated me as a partner. And I was a terrific flop. It was perhaps the most painful year of my life. I, at that point, had a, my mother and father who were older and not well. I had a retarded sister who was no longer alive, and I had an eight-year-old daughter to support. And I was a flop. I mean, the papers said it every day, and they loved saying it. It probably was the best thing that happened to me, because in working my way back, I knew then that it was me, that it wasn't just that I was in the right place, that it wasn't just that I had been lucky, but that it was me. You will all experience some failure. If you don't, if you don't, you haven't accomplished very much. It isn't possible that you can go through without one, without one failure. And it, if you work it right and look at it right, it will be the best thing that happens to you. Furthermore, don't look back and say, if I had only taken that career, I could have done that instead of this. You are all, from talking to you, as many as I have, so smart, so charming, that if you don't make it in this, you'll make it in that. If you're going to be successful, you'll be successful in whatever you do. Don't look back and second-guess yourself your whole life. I want to talk also about the choices, because it was easier for me when I was growing up. Most women got married and didn't work, and that was that. Most guys went out and worked, came home, uh, paid the money, and never saw their kids. I'm, I'm speaking in kind of headlines, because I know our time is short. And I have said that you can't have all three, a great marriage, a great career, and great children. That you can have two or three. You have a great marriage and great children. You can have great children and a great career, etc. I'm not so sure that's true anymore. I think that was true of my generation. I think, especially for you women, there will always be that pull if you have a career of the children. You may decide not to to have children now and to bring them up is a wondrous career. In my time, we poo-pooed that. And if somebody said, I'm a wife and a mother and I stay home, we said, oh, how boring. I know more boring women in boring jobs and more exciting women who bring up their kids and read books and are aware and know what's going on and do the volunteer work and take the courses. So if that's where it takes you, that's okay. And I think you can have all three. If you have husbands, and now I'm speaking to the, or, or friends, to the guys here who are willing also to be nurturers, to help take care of the kids, to find the side inside yourself that is sensitive. You have more choices, and that makes more difficulty, but you have more breadth than we have. And if you are supportive of each other, I think you can have it all when we couldn't. There are also such twists and turns in life that I don't want you to forget who you are along the way. Since January, I have done four interviews with people who are considered great leaders, and are certainly leaders in one way or another. In January, at the time that the Gulf War broke out, I was in Russia interviewing Boris Yeltsin, a man who a year ago was considered in this country um, irresponsible, 
They said he drank too much, unreliable. A man who turned out to be outspoken, courageous, had a visit with our president last week, highly respected and the most, po most popular uh, leader in the Soviet Union. Just before I went to Russia, I interviewed Margaret Thatcher, one of my heroines, a woman who for 11 years had been considered the great female prime minister, the great prime minister of our generation, almost a legend, thrown out by her own people, depressed when I saw her, defeated, feeling alone. It all came so fast, up here and then down here. I went to Libya to do Muammar Gaddafi. It was my second interview with him. Five years ago, he was considered America's number one enemy, the most hated man in this country. Now he gave up that dubious distinction to Saddam Hussein, and today he is a tiger who is, fortunately for us, toothless. But a man who has his own peculiar kind of vision. I keep thinking, when I described him, I came home and I described him to my daughter, and she said, in other words, mommy, weird, right? <laughs> but, but in his own way, a most magnetic leader, how his world has changed in, in less than five years. And finally, I think perhaps the interview that gave me the most pleasure, an interview with Norman Schwarzkopf, whom you all heard this morning, uh, the sensitive side of the man, the man who said, when I said, but generals don't cry, do they? Generals aren't allowed to cry. And he said, of course they cry. He said, I, I wouldn't like a human being if he didn't know how to cry. Norman Schwarzkopf was an obscure general a year ago. You never heard of him, unless you were in the army where he was very highly respected. And today he is the greatest hero we have in this country. I go through this because your life will have those twists and turns. Never give your life over to any one person. Remember that they can have their ups and downs, and so can you. Be your own person, whatever that is. And finally, I listened to Alan Dershowitz last night. I thought all of the speakers were so wonderful. But I heard Alan talk about, Professor Dershowitz talking about, that it's not only important to do well and to do good, but to do good. And I think it's not only important to do well and to do good, but to find the good in yourself. We are all insecure. Every one of us is insecure. I have never done an interview, and certainly never an interview with an actor, in which the actor, including Robin Williams, has said to me, I'm so shy. You will have times when you will be very tough on yourself, when everyone around you will seem to have been so much better, and everyone around you seems to be so much secure, more secure than you. And that's when I started to talk, and I wanted you to look around and see all the others who don't know what they're doing. Everyone didn't have an 800 score in math on the SATs. And we all, you, you must understand that no matter how much you look up to us, we also have our fears and our frailties. Don't be too tough on yourself. Forgive yourself. And if you can, work terribly hard and try terribly hard, but not get to the point where you're working so hard and trying so hard that you really lose what is good about yourself and what you fed, felt about yourself when you were maybe five or six. We talk about finding the child within you. You still have the child within you. You're on that borderline. Don't lose that. The reason that I told you to bury your notes is that all of us are essentially saying the same thing to you. Do what you love. Trust your gut. When I finally found what I loved, when I had the opportunity to do it, I adore what I'm doing. Even if it's tough sometimes, and even if I'm getting older and it's a little creaky when I have to get on and off of the planes, I have had the most wonderful life. 
I am in the middle of contract negotiations. I couldn't stay at the museum the other night because I had to meet with the president of ABC News and go over my contract for the next five years. I never in my life thought that I would be working this long. And I am. And how wonderful that I have been able to do what I love. That's what everyone here is saying to you. Give something back. We have all said that to you, too. It isn't enough if it's just, just yours. Whether it's your family, whether it's your children, whether it's your country, give something back. Work hard. Get your foot in that door, whatever it is you want to do. More and more people kept coming up to me last night and saying, I'm a journalist major, what should I do? Or even should I major in journalism? And I said, no, do everything, learn everything you can. It'll all help if you decide journalism is what you want. But then get your foot in that door, whatever it is. Work for your local station, work for your local newspaper. Do anything. And I say that to you, whatever the career is. Don't be above bringing the coffee. I mean, so what? I have two days a week in which I wash the dishes in my office. We have lunch in the office all the time. Now, I am the boss, so I only do it two days. I don't do it. They do it the other three. And I'm joking about it, but my point is, if you get to the point where, oh my, I, I won't type. No, 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 I, I won't bring the coffee. No, I, I've finished my college and my graduate school. I'm too good for that. Somebody else isn't too good to them. And they'll bring the coffee, and they'll do the typing, and they'll stay late, and they'll work harder, and they'll have the same talent, and they'll make it where you didn't. And you must have discipline. We have all 